We're concluding our sermon series, Read, Pray, Love Daily, uh, this morning. I hope that this reading plan and this series has been a blessing to you. I will admit to you, I've never preached any of these passages before, so it's been helpful for me to, to, to preach from these words. I will say, I reserve the right to come back to this series for us that are going through this three-year cycle of readings together. I'm just going to wait till we're out of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy before I come back. This week has been some difficult and challenging readings, but it's been, it's been helpful and a good uh, word, I hope, for you. I know it has been for me. Uh, next Sunday, Ben will be preaching. And so uh, this is his third assignment for his preaching class, so y'all be good, say amen and all that, especially here at the 830 service, which will be taped, so I'll know who didn't do that, uh, so stay awake. Uh, Sarah and I are blessed, our, our son Joseph will be getting married uh, next Saturday, and so we'll be out of town uh, with that, so we ask for your prayers for that. I, I won't be the preacher, we're going to her home church with her home pastor, and I'll just get to be dad, and I'm looking forward to that. I hope this is a practical word this, this morning. I will confess to you, as I have before, that your pastor has a little bit of nerd in him. All right? I own that. All right? And as, as we look here at Romans, this is a book that has a lot of deep and rich theology to it. It really needs to be read and reread and thought about and put together with the whole council of Scripture. As we go through this, especially right here in verse 16, but really, from that point on to the end of chapter 11, there's a whole lot of theology, of sifting through some very, very grand things. Uh, the first Bible study series I ever taught uh, was in college to a bunch of guys in a fraternity house. We met in their uh, dining room, and uh, not dining room, but a side room, and had a bunch of guys there, and I walked them through the book of Romans. At that time, I was going to a highly reformed youth group or college group, but I had grown up Methodist, which meant as I went through this letter, I was very confused before I started that series and even more confused after I got out of the book of Romans. There's some really heady and difficult theology here, and I hope and pray you'll go through it. And there's several purposes for why Paul wrote. It's not just one purpose. One of them, many scholars say, is because Paul's trying to say, this is the gospel that I believe. Here are the basics of the Christian faith, and I want you to know I hold to these, and yet this is one of the most difficult books or letters in all of Scripture to grasp. I am, I am a big fan of C.S. Lewis. Don't agree with everything, but I agree with a whole lot of what he says. And I just, right out in college and right after college, I basically read everything he had written. And I don't just mean... The, the Christian books. I'm talking his science fiction trilogy, his, his fantasy books, not just Narnia, but the Pilgrim's Regress and other, other works. But here's how bad it got. I read his letters. Preacher, you read the boy's mail? Yes, I read the guy's mail to see what he was saying. It's a good thing to go back and read what John Wesley said as well as we're reading one of Paul's letters. I did that with C.S. Lewis. I read all that stuff. You know what was the hardest book for me to read that he ever he ever wrote mere christianity what's mere christianity about it's about the basics here are the basics but just it was supposed to be a lecture and then he wrote it down and it's it's difficult for me to follow that book well i will confess to you romans is that kind of book theologically i'd love to talk with you more about that but as i went through these passages and was ready to talk about these big theological ideas i stopped being your preacher and i wanted to be your pastor 
And there's some, there's some important practical words in the verses we, we read this week uh, in our reading plan. And so I just want us to look at two verses, and we only have two points this morning. It's going to take a while, but there's a very good word here from Paul for the church. And I say good word, it is good news. That's what the gospel means. That's how he starts out with this gospel. The good news, or as one commentary said of Paul's word for good news, this beautiful news. Going back to verse 1 that says, this gospel of God, which he proclaimed before through his prophets and the holy scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received this grace. Having received his grace, Paul says this word to the church in Rome, and he says this to us. Here's this practical word. First word is plans. Verse 13, plans. Paul is very clear here that he wanted to come to this church, this church that he did not create or build. I wanted to come to you, but somehow, we're not exactly sure how, his plans, as Corey said, were prevented. Maybe your translation says hindered. Those plans got interrupted. Now, can you imagine the prayer life that Paul had? Can you imagine the mind that Paul had for ministry and for mission? Can you, can you even imagine the understanding God, uh, that Paul had of who God is and God's will for his people, and yet he missed this? It was in my plans to come to you, and yet somehow Paul doesn't realize that he's not going to get to hit that target. And that is not the first time, and it will not be the last time, that the plans that Paul hit, well-intentioned plans, godly plans, are going to be hindered and prevented. We had talked about Acts 15 and 16 recently, and that's, that's where he is in Acts 16. I want to go to Asia. We'll come back to that in a minute, but he clearly wanted to... Sp- Jonah had blown it 500 years earlier. Jonah had the gateway to the east. If he just could have got a better picture of God's grace for 120,000 people that don't even know their right hand from their left hand, if Jonah could have caught that vision, but what we have in archaeology, what we have in Scripture, is, is no discipling at all. Within a generation, those Ninevites are being back to who they were and actually worse than who they were. And Here's Paul saying, let me go to the east. God, I've got this plan. Let me go and open the door to the gospel there. We don't understand why, but in God's sovereignty, the Spirit shuts that down. Here, again, I don't know how or why, Paul is hindered and prevented from doing what he wants to do, and that is to go to this church. He admits that. And then if you go to the very end of this letter, in chapter 15, verse 28, he says, and listen, it's not just y'all, my real target I want to keep going further west. I want to take the gospel to Spain. Paul never gets there. I am hoping to move further. That's not what he says. When you get to Romans 15, I will go there. Paul doesn't get to go there. Ultimately, Paul's led to some imprisonments, and Paul is led to his execution. Door shut, door shut, door shut, door shut. We see his heart, we see his heart here to reach, and yet somehow his hopes and his plans do not come to fruition. Church, that's a great reminder to us when we struggle with plans, when we struggle with why certain things have happened, why some doors 
did not open, why some doors were just slammed in our faces. The first thing is this. You'll see it here later in chapter 8, but even in Acts 16, we always want to be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You think about the, 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 the heart of Paul to reach people. Yet when the Spirit in Acts 15, 16 says you don't go to Asia, Paul says, I don't go. Paul, Paul in terms of missions and evangelism is like a three-year-old in a shopping cart at the checkout line at Walmart, staring at all that glittering sweetness and goodness of candy before his eyes. How many people need to know Jesus in Asia, right? This, this ch child just looking at that candy rack. Paul's looking at unreached people, and the Spirit says no, and Paul says okay. This yielding and deferring, no matter what's on your heart, whatever God says, you do. Paul will go on later in chapter 8 to talk about that. Do you want to know if you're a son of God or a child of God? Here's one of the definitions. Yes, you believe in Jesus, the crucified. Yes, you believe in the resurrection. Yes, you profess that with your mouth. Yes, you confess before him. Paul says, you know another definition? You're led by the Spirit. Who are the sons of God? Those who are led by the Spirit. And Paul puts that model right here for us on display. I know it sounds mystical. We've said before, you always want to check with the Word on that. You want to check with Christian friends on that. But when the Spirit says no, you don't go. When the Spirit says go, you have to go. Paul yields his life. He doesn't get what he wants. He doesn't get to follow the plans that he wants. But he's obedient. And he follows. Some of us have, have walked into that and had to do that before. This is not what I want. Oh, Lord, why won't you give me this? I think it's for good. Whatever the sovereign Lord says, whatever the storm of life, as we heard this morning, we're just going to praise him and step out in faith in that. But let's say, that, hear this. This is another practical word, just watching the life of Paul. When there is a no, that does not mean there is displeasure from the Lord. When a door is shut, that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that God is not good. There's no hint of that in Paul's life, in his words or in his activities, after many, multiple, several setbacks, doors being slammed in his face, it does not rock his view of God or what he thinks God thinks of him. Let me say that again. No matter the setbacks, it does not change or rock Paul's view of God or what he thinks thinks that God thinks of him. He holds on to that word. Matter of fact, the word's coming up in chapter 8. What's the word? We know that God works all things for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so Paul's banking on that. This is written by someone who's been told no a lot, and yet he can say and hold on to, we know all things work together for good. Paul, who's in prison, we know that things all work together for good. Paul, who's eventually executed for his faith, I know that all things work together for good. Just because there's a door shut, Paul still praises the Lord and trusts, his, trusts the Lord. Again, that's no surrendering that, 
this idea of fate, what will be, will be, or this radical idea of Islam that everything is God's will, even the sin and the horror and everything you can imagine. No, that's not what he's saying. But in God's economy, in his working out of his sovereignty, I always trust that it's good, and I'm holding on to that. I visited uh, with a church member within the last six to eight weeks over lunch. And let me say this. I'm begging you for that. In a church our size, that's important to me. Um, I, I, I realize that, that you, every one of us, and you hear Ben and I in court, we all talk about this, that we need you in a small group, a Bible study, or a Sunday school. We just need to walk with each other. I know sometimes you may be hesitant to do that, to open your life up to other people, be connected, but, but for your spiritual health and for your spiritual care, we need you to do that. But as your pastor, I can't tell you one of the favorite things I get to do, because I'm a Methodist, is eat. But also one of my favorite things to do is to do that with you. All right, so please let me know. Now, it's going to be Dutch. I'm not paying for your lunch. But if we can get together in my office or for coffee or over a meal to talk about where you are in your life, it's, it's one of my favorite things uh, to do. And so uh, just several, several weeks ago, I got to meet with a church member over lunch and just listen to this person talk about their hopes and plans for what God would do in their life. And to hear them talk about how not only that they had hopes and plans, but they had stepped out in faith and given countless hours to getting prepared for a ministry to have that shut down. Struggling with that. What do you do with that? Feel, having a passion, as Paul had a passion to serve, but then doing, as Paul had done, just hope after hope and plans after plans, preparation after preparation, and the door shut. And that door is still shut, by the way. Was that, what do you do with that? That person's still serving. That person's still hopeful. That person is resting in the purposes of God. Paul does not blink when he says to us that God can work for good through our stuff. Listen, you look at Paul's life and the horror of some of the things Paul stood by and watched happen, especially in Acts before he was converted. And he can say, God can take your junk and your sin and your damage of other people. And he can, he can work that testimony in your life and, and if you'll be open to that and work it for good. And even your hopes and your dreams or your plans, when they're not exactly what you want, he can still work good in your life. That's what that person I, I met with is banking on. Even after all these no's or not yet for Paul, it's not all sweetness and light here. Paul can say in the midst of that, I'm banking on God's sovereignty. I'm banking on the character and heart of God that he works for good. You think about that. No Asia, check. No Spain, check. No Rome, check. I'm trusting the Lord. How is, how is that for you this morning? As you're looking at struggles you're having at home, hopes and plans you had for family or for a sibling, for a child or for your, for your parents or thinking about work, wishing this ministry had happened or, or this relationship had happened or thinking about a friendship and what you're going through, a heartbreak over whatever that might be or a health issue. Paul believed Jeremiah. Yes, I know you have plans for us. I don't know why it's, it's not here where I'm feeling this passion or this push. But you look at at Paul's life, and he is not locked into his plan. 
He is locked into the Holy Spirit. Spirit, wherever you move, I'm ready to go. Wherever you say no, I'll say no. Wherever you say yes, I'll say yes. I just want the Lord's will. And I'm going to trust your love. I'm going to trust this, that you are good even when I struggle. It's a good word for us. Most of us have a plan that's hit the wall. Most of us have had a hope where the door's been shut. And like Paul, we need to just trust, trust the Lord and yield to the leading of his spirit on that. And he'll come and he'll bless and he'll give fruit in new areas. Verse 16, the second word for Paul, for Paul, it's another difficult word, and this word is shame. We got plans, but then we also have shame. And this is the heart of, of this verse here in 16 is Paul's boldness about the gospel, this good news about Jesus, this good news about Jews and Gentiles being together, all of us uh, having, having this saving power of God, but also this sanctifying power of God, this we're not shamed anymore. We talked a few weeks ago about Adam and Eve. The first thing they did was try to cover their sin, but God has covered them with the blood uh, of, of an animal. Now you and I are covered by the blood of Christ, so there is no more shame that we can go before the Father and know that we're covered by his grace. Um, Paul knew that. Again, Paul had just crazy sin in his life, self-righteousness, watching st others die, and now he can say this good news, this beautiful news, I've been washed clean and I can stand without shame before my God. But here's the issue, and this is a real issue for us. You and I can stand unashamed before the Lord, but this world, sadly, loves to shame. Paul knew shame from every kind of corner that you can think of. You and I, rightly, because we're believers, you, you read the rest of Romans, Romans 1 through 11. All of us are guilty. All of us have shame before the Lord. But because of our faith in Christ, we don't have to feel that shame anymore. And also, we can be bold and unashamed for Christ before this world, even when they look at us and say, that stuff you believe is foolish. Even, when our, even in our own families, when we're, we're pushed back against what we believe Christ is calling us to do or with neighbors or relatives or, or friends or business, when we're pushed back and told to be shamed, we can, we can be, as Paul says, not just here, but six or seven other times in his letters. You don't have to be ashamed because of what Christ has done for you. And that boldness of him, that's hard to have when, you're, when we're in a shaming culture. Social media, just even this week, just looking at what Macy's has done. And I'm not picking on anybody because we all do it. Macy's has named a plate series and a bunch of people in that plate series, you can look it up, feel shame for that. Forever 21, if you order a large, large shirt or a larger clothing item from them, they actually have been packing diet bars in there, shaming people. Uh, just watching Twitter blow up over whatever happened on The Bachelorette and shaming that girl for whatever she has done. We're in a shame culture. And if, when, when that voice speaks that to us, we always want to listen. Hey, is there something I need to hear? Is there something I need to hear to repent of? But we can't let that word be the final word because Paul says, my shame has been given to Christ, it's been washed, and I'm unashamed. But when this world comes and tries to do that, listen, I had this thing nailed, okay? I had it nailed. 
I've been swimming since I was just a young baby. And so my parents, we were had to at the public park in Lidditz, Pennsylvania. We had to take a swim test to be able to go into the deep end and off the diving board. So I knew I would nail this. And when it came to this stroke or that stroke or this stroke, I nailed it, did great. When I came to this or that, I nailed it, did great. And the final test was the diving test. And on this test, you did it from the low board. I could do the high board, but you did it from the low board. And everybody stood at the edge of the pool and watched you. And so I stood there in exciting eager anticipation. I'm going to kill this in front of all these kids. When I come out, they're going to probably be chanting my name, right? <laughs> so I'm, they're all there, and I'm there watching, oh, belly flop. Then I watch the next one. Oh, his legs were open when he went in, or oh, the tentative kid who falls sideways. This is terrible. It was now my turn. And I just, I'm sure I looked at the line like, get ready, get ready. The jump perfect. The height, perfect. The form, perfect. The splash, not a drop. It's amazing. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. At least that's what I remember because really I was in shock from the fact that my bathing suit was around my ankles after the dive. (laughs) The jump, glory. The height, look at my glory. The form, look at my glory. The splash, no splash, look at my glory. The bathing suit, oh, look at my glory. (laughs) Oh, I just, I just like stay under as long as you can. Stay under, I don't want to come out. All those kids at the edge, wow, that was great. Ooh, look at that. If you knew some of the things I've thought in my life, you know, if you knew some of the things I've said about other people in my life, if you knew some of the things I've done in my life, you would be right to say shame. And we live in a culture, especially as we try to be open about our faith, loving with grace and truth as we've talked about, or, or later in Scripture, gentleness and, and reverence as we talk about it, this culture will say shame. You can't bring up that Jesus. You can't bring up that gospel. You can't bring up that truth. We live in a culture of this. It hurts. And it's hard. And Paul knew that reality. Everybody disliked Paul. Everybody. Right? The Jews hated Paul. Jewish Christians frustrated by Paul. Gentile Christians, frustrated by Paul. Even though he's trying to cheerlead him, he made some compromises at Acts 15. All of that, you just go through that checklist. But Paul says at the end of that checklist, I am unashamed because of what Christ has won for me. This book is not just about justification, by the way. It's about sanctification and reconciliation. All those things wrapped up. I am unashamed of the gospel. How is it you and I need to hear that word today? We're beat up by this world. Just beat up. And to know as Paul did, Paul who is, oh goodness, the things that had happened in his life. And yet he was able to say, I'm clean. And I don't have to be ashamed anymore. I'm going to be bold about this gospel. Or to look at your plans and hopes. God's heart breaks when our heart breaks. He does. And we're just looking at things we want to do for him and some doors get shut. But Paul says you follow the Spirit 
and you just trust in his goodness. Can you do that this morning? Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're sharing with us through your servant Paul and his faithful response to you through times of of struggle, real struggle for ministry, but also struggle with people here. Help us to hear and to, to bank on your word this morning about what you say about yourself when we, when we have a hard time with our plans. We pray that our will would be your will and we're trusting your goodness. Father, when others would point the finger at us, Father, help us to just rest in your grace and in your love to be unashamed. It's in your name that we pray this prayer. Amen.